the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy for Wednesday, May 23rd. Coming up this hour, strengthening the soul of your leadership, seeking God in the crucible of ministry. Our guest is Ruth Haley Barton. Also, what can a communication study about air conditioner usage teach the church about how to respond to tragedies such as the recent mass shooting at the Texas high school? Our guest, Dr. Tim Uhlhoff. Pull up a chair and stay a while. It's time now for John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon. Greetings to you. Thanks for coming along today for the Wednesday edition. Kathy, uh, even though it's um, almost summer, mm-hmm. I see that you're wearing your your shawl. I'm ready. Your wrap. It's my parka. Mm, it's a little chilly here in the studios today. Why is that? Why does it, whenever the weather changes, we go from moderately comfortable temperatures into all of a sudden a plunge of air conditioning, frigid glut? Why must we suffer like this? Why? I just... Our first world problems supersede us, do they not? That's not really even a first world problem. That's like an elite, like at some other kind of problem. Like I'm looking out the window at a gorgeous sunny day. Yeah. I need to find something to complain about, people. Something. Okay, so Ligonier Beach, just saw this today, is yeah. not reopening for the 2018 yeah. season. Well, what I can't understand mm-hmm. is, and I've never been to Ligonier Beach. Which is a shame. It is a shame, I guess. But I heard there's going to be closed for the year, and yep. I'm sure that's that's very sad for the people that go to Ligonier Beach. Oh, I love it. But the reason it's closing is because of the pumps, mm-hmm. and I don't understand why there are pumps at a lake. No, no, it's not a lake. It's a swimming pool. Ligonier Beach, I... Well, then why is it a beach? Well, it... I, I can't answer this, you know, from a historical perspective of Ligonier Beach, but having been to Ligonier Beach many, many times, my guess is probably back in the 1930s or early 40s, whenever the swimming pool was first created, that it had some sort of a beach feel to it because there's, a, there's have sand there is still there's still an area where there is sand okay but mostly it's just a grassy area that surrounds the pool oh well then what oh so that's why there are pumps yes because it's a pool it's a pool it's, it's a, a swimming, swimming pool. pool it's a swimming pool that really um is in need of an upgrade i remember years ago we used to go the pumps themselves are like something like I described earlier, from like the late 1930s, early 40s. They're housed in a little tiny box that's loud and smoky. And you think, how can that even be? It's loud and smoky. It is, yeah. Well, that's bad. But Ligonier Beach... Shouldn't be smoky. No, it has has sort of this old charm to it. There's many people who are big fans of Ligonier Beach. Okay, I've... Okay, well, I, at least you've helped me to understand that. Yes, it's not a, it's not necessarily an, an open swimming hole, which it's is what you concrete... would think of when you call it a beach. Yes, but anyway, yeah, okay. Well, then I'm, I'm sorry right. to hear that. So, uh, do you have a favorite swing? <laughs> That's beautiful. Those are the those are the seagulls trying desperately to escape from where the pumps no. are. Or they're they're next to the food trucks by Ligonier Beach. Yeah, I bet there were no food trucks. At Probably not. Beach. No. So, do you uh, you yourself go to a favorite swimming pool during the summer months? Um. Not one time last summer did I go to a pool. Neither did I. What? That's horrible. 
Was it at the ocean, but not at the pool? Right. And, and it, to be honest, I'd rather be at an ocean. Times 10. That at a pool. A hundred times. Yeah. So I, I certainly would prefer that, but, but I still love a pool. Yeah. Now, like, so when you're like, you know, when my kids were young, up, up until last year, every year we, we joined our local time. neighborhood pool. Pools all the time. Right. When I was growing up, once it hit Memorial Day, I was in the pool all day, every day, unless it was raining. Nice. This is what I did. That is what I did. Huh. So what happened last year? I don't know. We, well, we worked a lot last summer. We, You and I. We had a lot of things going here. Yeah. And I, it just... Went by. It just kind of went by. Well, we do uh, Sandcastle days, don't we? Yeah, but I have never been to Sandcastle. You've never been to Sandcastle? No. Oh, well, you got to get yourself over there this year, okay? Do you think I should? Well, we do Word FM days at Sandcastle. I know we do, and it's very popular. Yeah, Lots but, of listeners come out. But it's probably during our show. It is, which is why I've never yeah, been yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite? Okay, so my favorite swimming pool, though. If I had my, my, my choice, my druthers, mm-hmm. if we weren't busy and if I could hang out at the pool, I'd go to North Park Pool. Oh, is that I, a nice And pool? I'd go every day. Is that a wave pool? No. Good. I don't like a wave pool. I do not like no. a wave They messed up Idlewild. Oh, yeah, and I haven't been there since uh, it's turned good. into a they wave pool. It, nah. I don't like that. Neither do I. No, huh? We, mean, don't need, we don't need a, a wave pool. I just want a pool. Yeah. North Park Pool is a spectacular pool. Oh, is it? Pool. Nice. it is. You've never been. I can't say I have. That's hard to you, – well, you wouldn't forget because of its enormous size. Okay. I mean, it is truly – I mean, when you walk – Mike, have you been to North Park Pool? No, never. That's you so got sad. nothing here either. Um, I'm telling you, when you walk out onto the platform, which is outside the really? uh, changing area, it's just oh. truly shocking how huge it is. I want to make a point of going there. Yeah. Like, um, you're too it's young. A li- it's an Olympic-sized pool, but it's Olympic-sized width. Whoa. So, so not length. I mean, it's so it's that wide. Holy smokes! And imagine the length. It's so huge. you're too young to remember Kennywood pool. Yeah, I am too young. I've seen pictures of that, but I didn't, oh, I was never Talk there. Talk about a gigantic pool. Yeah, that was a pool. Yeah, I would assume. I mean, they were built at the same time. Probably so, similar size. So yeah. I would assume yeah. that it was like you know right. that was a, a huge deal. Once you were able to engineer something like that, why right. wouldn't you want to? Yeah, I was thinking about, thinking about this today when I read about the Ligonier Beach. Uh, <laughs> This this make me sound like about I'm, I'm 150 years old. But when we were kids, we used to walk from Swissvale to Kennywood and go to that pool, and then spend the day Did there. You walk across the Rankin Bridge. Yeah, and then walk back home. Oh my gosh, how that's 10 miles. No, it's not 10 miles. You don't think it is? No, not not even close. No, from Swissvale to West Mifflin. No. Well, it's got to be three miles. Yes, well, it's got to uh, be three miles yeah. down to the bridge and another three miles. Okay, so no, it's no. six miles. No, no, it's a ways. It's six miles. That's I bet what we it did. is. I'm, if I did that once, I'm sure I did that you know, 50 times. We just did it. Wow. Yeah. Man, anyway. that's a long walk. And then you walked home at the end. Yeah, we did, yeah. But we loved the And then your parents pool. loved it because you went to sleep instantly. Oh, You'd we go gone. home and take a shower and you were out. You'd get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, walk to the pool, spend the day at the pool, walk back. By that time, you're tuckered out. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I also uh, grew up at Avonworth Pool, which is in uh, like the Ben Avon like township. It, it's kind of like Westview, Ben Avon, Ross Township I area. See. Remember, like the, you would go to the pool. There was always like that gang of guys. Yeah. Right. I was always the, afraid the pool of them. Guys. I was afraid of them. Yeah, they were like the show off. But you know what? So I, I stayed away from them. So you know what I did? Hmm. I would go to the um, the concession stand at the Avonworth Pool, hmm. and I would get the same thing. Pretty, every day. I mean, pretty much every day. Yeah. I would get the same thing, which was two pretzel sticks, because you could get two for a penny, mm. okay? Two pretzel sticks and a frozen zero bar. <laughs> 
you say two for a penny? Mm-hmm. Two for a penny. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So, yeah. of course, you couldn't get one. No, was, no. It just wasn't possible. Give me two, please. Yeah, and a frozen zero bar. That's living pretty good. It was. And sometimes, if my mom was feeling generous, she'd buy me wacky wafers on the way out. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> That Nanny. was only on a really good day. Nanny, just relax. <laughs> I mean, come on. No, is there, I think there's no better feeling in the world than sitting at a pool and having French fries oh, and a Coke. Oh, that's really good. But that's expensive. I mean, like if you're – I mean, it was a lot cheaper. It was, yeah. If you were a kid, it's a lot cheaper to get a frozen zero bar and two pretzel I'm sticks sure it than is. it is yeah. to get the fries. But the fries are delicious. That's zero bar, though. Who wants a frozen zero? That's that white thing. Is that white? Yeah, yeah, and I don't even good. like white chocolate, but no. I think it's a. I think it's because I loved it as a child that I still have fond memories sure, of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it has that sweet, salty thing, you know, that I oh, really like. No, that's not good. No, I like no. it a lot. Okay, so what about your favorite swimming hole? Do you have a place? Well, for years we belonged to the Forest Hills Pool, which is a wonderful pool. Highly recommended. You live in Forest Hills, right? It's a little <laughs> long for me, Mike. What about you? Uh, fortunately, my uncle has a pool in. We what? Just, yeah, fine. his own pool. His own pool. It's well, an above ground pool. Is it? It's, it's a heated above ground. Oh, pool. Oh, that's very nice. I oh. mean, yeah. I wish I we knew knew Mike's uncle. Yeah, yeah. We just kind of hang out. I love people who like to you know have the pools in the backyard. Yeah, because you don't get to use them that much. That's a, that's a real commitment to to a swimming yeah. pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My next door neighbor had a pool all the years I was growing up. Above ground or below? Thank you, D'Amico's. Uh, in ground. Oh. It started above ground and then it became in ground mm-hmm. when they when they uh, updated it. Very nice. And uh, we were seriously, we were in that. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that was our whole job yeah, yeah, in the yeah. summer. How about a hot tub? Don't like it at all. I want my hot tub. Oh no, yeah, give me a hot tub. I'll don't sit like there. It. I'll take a hot tub. They anytime. make me feel like dizzy and weird. Really? I can't. I don't like hot tubs. No, I would. Have, you Not know, me. in lieu of a small pool. I mean, like, you know, a yeah. large pool. Much rather have a pool. Have a pool in your back. Now, would you go in a hot tub in the wintertime? Nope. Oh sure, happily. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, me too. I put a little tassel cap on. Sit hot out tubs there. aren't hot, hot tubs are not particularly good for you. Why? Because they raise the body temperature to some weird level, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. wait, they can invites. be hard on. Wait your, a second. They can be hard on your heart. Yeah, yeah. If you're, you, I mean, if you stay in them for a long time, if you're in it for ten minutes, it's no big deal. Fine, yeah. I mean, here I am. I sound like a clinician. Yeah, you, exactly. you have a swimming cap, John. No, no. Please I'm say saying, yes. No, no, Please no. say yes. <laughs> Please say yes. No, no, no. I'm saying if I had a hot tub and it was like, you know, 22 degrees, you get in the hot tub, you're up to your neck, then you would put like a little tassel cap on. Wouldn't you do that? But you that wouldn't need sense. that because the steam would be coming right. off of the No, no, no. You your, head, need a tassel your, cap. your head would still be cold. The top of your okay, head. Okay. Here's, here's what, what I did over winter that mm. I thought was very fun is we were at a Stonewall, which is a resort in West Virginia, for a weekend, my family and I. Yeah. And it wasn't a hot tub, but they ha- their pool is heated, okay? But their pool is half inside and half outside. What? Yeah, Oh, so you have to go like, under a little... So you have to go under a thing, cool. yeah. but if you come out on the other side, you're outside. Nice. So That's we, cool. So we swam outside when it was like, oh, I don't know, 25 oh, degrees. Oh, I love that. So that it's, really, cool. it's really weird because you, cannot, you don't want to get any splashes of water on your face because instantly they Burr. freeze, right? So you're like... Under the water, you're fine. Yeah. But your head, you're don't like, oh my gosh, don't don't splash me. Don't do anything because I'm going to freeze. <laughs> Isn't that fun? That was kind of fun. Okay. So I let's like go to the pool. Yeah. So Memorial Day, all the pools will open. Will yes, they not? Yes, they will. That's very good. Manned by lifeguards, you should all be nice to. Excellent. Hey, we got a good show for you. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton is going to be with us in a few minutes. Yeah. If you're a church leader, a pastor, a worship leader, um, you do anything that has to do with that, are you exhausted? If so, we'll talk to Ruth about it next. 101.5 WORD. One of the big challenges facing parents today is helping children grow up to be financially solvent. On the next Focus on the Family, we'll address issues like budgeting, work for pay, student loans, and what contentment looks like, even when you don't have a lot of money. 
That's next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Tonight at 8.30 on 101.5 WORD. If you're not in the club, you're missing out. Word FM Discount Shopping Club members get up to half off great deals every day, right from your computer or smartphone. Like today, get twice the fun for half the price at Fun for All Family Fun Park in Cranberry. Get a $100 value for $50 or $50 value for $25 and enjoy the best family fun rides, games, and attractions, including the new XD Dark Ride. It's all for fun at Fun for All. Log on now to wordfm.com, keyword shopping. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Since 1976, over 250,000 inmates have attended a Kairos prison ministry three-and-a-half-day retreat behind prison walls, only to come face-to-face with Jesus through the love of a Kairos volunteer. Kairos is an interdenominational ministry that trains ordinary Christians, men and women like you and me, to share the heart of the gospel with inmates on the inside and their families on the outside. All of us were prisoners to sin until our Savior set us free. Your time as a Kairos volunteer not only changes the lives of inmates, it changes you, inside and out. New 25-member teams are forming now. Call 412-368-6691 to begin training today. Kairos Prison Ministries, 412-368-6691. You don't know when your AC unit will call it quits, but you can rest assured it'll be at the most inconvenient time possible. And who has all day to wait around for a tech to arrive? With Ventec, there is no waiting around, including evenings and weekends. Ventec will repair and replace forced air, central AC, and even offers split mini-duct units to heat and cool individual rooms. With flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees, clean, courteous, convenient, and A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Ventec 412-793-0661. Hi, this is Tun Shokin. Kick off your Memorial Day weekend with me and my good buddy Craig Wolfley on Saturday, May 26th at the Great Lawn across from Heinz Field for our 16th annual Walk for the Homeless. The fun begins at 8 a.m. and ends with lunch and festivities. Money raised that day will benefit Light of Life Rescue Mission, an organization that provides food, shelter, and hope for Pittsburgh's homeless and hurting. There are many ways to get involved. Form a team to walk, become a business sponsor, or volunteer. For more information, visit lightoflife.org or call 412-258-6128. I like to think I'm a pretty agreeable, happy-to-please kind of gal. Hi, this is Whitney Caps with Proverbs 31 Ministries. But the real stubborn me shows up if somebody gives me an ultimatum. It feels like a threat or like I'm being manipulated. Well, Israel gets a pretty strong warning, a kind of threat in 1 Kings chapter 9. God warns them that if they turn away from him, they'll experience abandonment and disaster. But our God is never manipulative or petty. I think what's going on is that God is warning Israel what their actions will bring, and he's trying to spare them heartache and pain. This warning is laced with grace. Our God is always looking out for us, trying to save us from ourselves. It's not an ultimatum. It's the ultimate act of love. Would you like to study passages like this with us? Well, you can download our free First 5 app at Proverbs31.org. When someone faces their own immortality, they naturally turn to God and God's people for His answers. Christian Emergency Network can help prepare you to answer their difficult questions. Start by becoming a ready Christian at ChristianEmergencyNetwork.org and learn what to say. Discover how to be spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically ready to respond. 
Sign up for the free Ready Christian Learning Track, available online at christianemergencynetwork.org. If you're in leadership in some form, church or an organization where people are counting on you, and you've done it for a number of years, sooner or later you just get crispy. You just get burnt, right? I I think it just goes without saying. It's a difficult thing to be a a leader in in the Christian world. It's different than, I think, in a secular perspective. Ruth Haley Barton is with us. Ruth is the founding president, the CEO of the Transforming Center. It's a ministry dedicated to strengthening the souls of pastors and Christian leaders and the congregations and organizations they serve. She's got a brand new workout, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Seeking God in the Crucible of Ministry. Ruth, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's so good to have you here, Ruth. Um, so I read the first edition of this book. I don't. What year did it come out? Well, it would have been ten years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's. I have to say, and I'm not trying to flatter you here, but I think it's one of the most formative books I read in um, in how to work effectively as a church leader. And so, first mm-hmm. off, I want to thank you for that. Um, oh. But second of all, I want to say that there's not there just there aren't that many books that read in the same way that your book reads. And for someone who's worked in a church for any period of time, I kind of felt like I, I didn't realize how thirsty I was until I started reading your book, and I thought, oh my gosh, I really need this. Do you do you hear that from people? Yes, um, people either come to the book because they're already desperate, you know. Um, yeah. they, they know that their life in leadership's not working. They've hit the limits of what they can actually bring to leadership. And so many actually come with a certain sense of desperation. And then, you know, then, and, and then they don't realize how bad off they are sometimes mm-hmm. until they really start to pay attention. Yeah. So, so for people who don't work in a church, this sounds weird. Like, how could you not know how desperate you are or how bad off you are? Um, but this is the kind of thing, you know, I had a friend that told me years ago when I started working in a church that, uh, that Sunday morning comes with disturbing regularity. Yes, yes. Sunday's always coming, as they say. Right, 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 right. And so when people say, what's, what is it like to work in a church? That's what I always say. That's the feeling of it is that you, you've just finished a thing and then you realize that you have to do a whole other thing. And it's, it, after time, you, it, you don't realize how tiring it is because you're just so used to doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the other thing is, is that most congregants only see the person preaching on Sunday or doing those public things, but that's only the tip of the iceberg. Many people don't really realize what else people who work in churches are doing and how difficult the, you know, it is to continue to sustain care and compassion for the the needs of human beings and the complexity of life and leadership with imperfect people, you know, who who can then spiritualize it on top of that, you know? Um, It's it's complicated. And so it is complicated, Ruth, and so I'm sure... It's totally different, whether, you know, you're a a Bill Gates or a Billy Graham. The two, there's a huge gulf between running an organization, one that's secular and one that's Christian, yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, there's some things that are similar and some things that are different, and particularly what you're trying to be and do when you're working in a church or a Christian ministry organization. You know, not only are you trying to get things done, but you're also trying to care for people and handle Mm -hmm. um the difficulties of life together in in a Christian or in a spiritual way, and um, there's there's a, there's some additional pressure on people who are leading in the church than those who are just trying to build the bottom line. Mm-hmm. 
How do you, um, Ruth, look at your own journey in this? Um, how did you end up being kind of the guru for um, taking care of pastors and church leaders? <laughs> well, I mean, I you are that. I Come on. I mean, you are that. that. If, if you if you ask people, if you ask people whether they're worship leaders or pastors or you, you're Who's your go to person. Yeah, you, uh, and, and if people asked me, I'd say, well, it's Ruth Haley Burton. That's what I'd say. Well, then I've learned something today. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's your new title, um, Ruth. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What? That's it's, your new title. Yes. Um, well, first of all, I'm a pastor's kid myself, and so church is the world that I know the best, and particularly the church through the lens of being in a pastor's home and in a pastor's family. So there, there is that. Um, and then, as a person in ministry myself and kind of an overachiever who had already been in ministry quite a while, by the time I was in my early 30s, I hit my own wall where I knew I couldn't keep going. I also knew that I wasn't transforming, that I, even mm-hmm. though I was teaching and leading other people in a relationship with God, that I, well, I wasn't transforming. I was still the basically selfish, self-referenced person I'd always been. And um, so I realized I, I needed to step away. I needed to get out of the limelight. I needed to have a safe place for my own soul to ask the questions that I needed to ask, to pay attention to the brokenness that was there. Um, and I thought I was stepping away from church forever, believe it or not, which, which was part of the riskiness of that season. Um, and actually it was the best thing I ever did was to step away because I came into a better and more right relationship with life and ministry where I no longer needed it so much for my identity. Um, but God did bring me back to then, you know, bring some of what I had learned to others and out of my own brokenness, really out of my own need for something more than what I was experiencing. And I think what's difficult is that people who go to church, they look to the church as the place for their own spiritual sustenance. But for those who are leading the church, that's the place where they're on, and they're being evaluated, and yes. they're trying to be successful. And so where do they go for mm-hmm. their own soul care? Where do they go to get right. it, to get invited deeper into their own walk with God? And th- those are my questions. Um, and those were the questions that, that, are, that eventually ended up bringing me to founding this organization and writing some of the things that I've written. Ruth Haley Barton is with us. The new book is the expanded edition of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Seeking God in the Crucible of Ministry. Um, Ruth, we uh, studied this book um, at our church. Our whole staff did it, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago, maybe. Um, and it was really interesting to, you know, I mentioned that when I started reading it, I didn't realize how messed up I was until I got into like chapter two. And I thought, I'm a disaster. But everybody identified, everybody felt that in one. Now, some people were further down the road than others, but there wasn't one person in the room. And we have, we had a staff at that time of maybe 15. There was, there was not one person in the room that did not get it right off the bat saying, mm-hmm. no, 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 this is me. I have this. Is that common in churches? Is it, this is just a widespread phenomenon and people open up your books and they say, oh, thank goodness. This, this really is how we're feeling. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that is, is pretty true right now. Um, and I think part of the reason is that. Um, Protestant evangelicalism in particular, we've been so activistic in our approach to our life with God that we have no idea how our souls are slipping away while we're so busy doing all that we do Hmm. for God. And the question, how is it with your soul, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul, is a question that many of us don't think about or no one's asked or we've not had any safe place to pay attention to that question, which means we're losing bits and pieces of our souls every day, but we don't even know it. 
Hmm. What is that? Is that people just so deeply invested in the motions or the process of trying to help those who are lost and broken that they, you know mm-hmm. they just they choose to ignore themselves? It's kind of like you know yeah. a mother taking care of her kids, but at the same time she's suffering as well. Yeah, I I think that is part of it. Um, I also think that many of us get into ministry for all sorts of good reasons. You know, if God has really touched our lives and done wonderful things for us, we feel grateful for salvation. We feel grateful for the ways in which God has saved us from the worst in ourselves. And we do very legitimately want to share that with others. And it's it's in our DNA as Protestants to want to get out there and do stuff. Um, So we, we get into ministry for all sorts of good and healthy reasons, but then somewhere along the way, it's almost like our egos get hooked in, and then all of a sudden success becomes more important or doing bigger and better, and Mm -hmm. we begin to be driven by unexamined motives that no one has Mm -hmm. ever encouraged us to look at. And so then with that kind of thing going on, we do get burned out, but we don't even realize it. And then pretty soon the relationship with God that drew us into ministry in the first place um, has become weak or non-existent, and there we are trying to do ministry out of our own egos and out of our own strength, and it's not sustainable. It's just simply not sustainable. I see. So that thing that allowed you to step away, Ruth, and as you stepped away and you recognized this season that you were in, then later on when you came back, you came back stronger and were able to produce this work as a roadmap. But it's mm-hmm. so it sounds like, you know, even though while you stepped away, you still could not stop working and thinking and building and creating this new rhythm. Well, not exactly, because I stepped away and for a couple of years I was not involved in ministry at all. And in that that falling away was really insignificant because I needed to know God apart from all that I was doing for God. I needed to have a safe place out of the public view to pay attention to the deeper questions of my own soul and to do some healing that I needed to do. And so I really did let go. I thought that I was done with leadership in the church. And believe it or not, it sounds really weird, but but it was really healthy. I needed to let it go as though we're never going to come back Um, because um, I was too attached to it and it was too much a part of my identity. And I was, Mm -hmm. and I had, you know, there was ego drivenness in it along with whatever good motivations there might've been. And all that needed to be dealt with before I could come back to it in any healthier way. So I seriously did not think I was ever coming back to ministry in the church. I thought I was done. So what made you decide, yes, you were going back? A re-up. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I was, I spent a couple of years just paying attention to my own soul, being in spiritual direction and practicing some spiritual disciplines that had not been a part of my evangelical upbringing. And uh, sometimes I would go to church and in the back and, you know, watch. And the church that I was in, eventually, I connected with a few people who uh, wanted to get to know my journey, and I let them know some of what I'd been experiencing. And um, those people happened to be staff people, and so they wanted to experience some of what I had experienced. And so I, I started just meeting with them more in a casual spiritual direction kind of relationship, helping them to pay attention to some of the things I had learned to pay attention to. Um, and then eventually, I was invited into a, a role in that setting, and I said yes to it, and sort of the, the rest is history. God was in that. Um, I sensed that it was okay and good for me to go ahead and re-engage, but I did it by invitation. I didn't do it strategically. I didn't set out to do it or seek to do it at all. I was. I still thought I was done, um, but God had other plans for you know to, to bring something out of it for others. Ruth Haley Barton is with us. The expanded version of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership is now out. We're talking to Ruth about that right now. Mm-hmm. Ruth, what do you think about this cultural 
moment we're in in America, you know, from the hashtag Me Too to what's going on this in the Southern Baptist Convention to, mm-hmm. you know, all the conversations about how men and women relate, how how we think about gender, how we think about gender roles how in we the speak church, to each other. how we speak to each other, how we think about abuse and sexuality yeah. and all those sorts of things. It's a big I, change. Yeah, uh, talk about how how you see that. Yeah, well, I see it as hopeful. In a way, I mean, it's been dark, it's been confusing, it's been uncomfortable, but I think this is a burning bush moment. If you want to relate it back to the book that we're talking mm-hmm, about, right. the moment there a moment when there's a commotion somewhere, and and we turn aside to look, and lo and behold, we realize that God is in it, and God has something to say in it. So there's definitely a commotion going on, and it's important, and uh, I think God's in it in a strange way, and I think that now we can't ignore the questions about sexuality and power and misuse of power and um, brokenness in relationships between men and women and unhealthy patterns between men and women and their relating. And um, as, as painful as this moment is, and it is, and yes. I have compassion for everyone involved in it, including my brothers in Christ, I also think that it is time. I think God is calling our attention to the dynamics between men and women and the fact that that we need to do something different. We really need to use this time. We need to be mm-hmm. like That's Moses good. and turn yeah. aside and look at this and yeah. pause and stop acting as though business could go on as usual and say, God, what are you saying to us out of this commotion? Yeah. And That's my prayer right yeah. now, Without is that we will stop and pay attention and not just keep going as right. though you know, we can pretend like everything's yeah. normal. It's I, not. It's not normal. So we need to stop. I couldn't agree more. Um, Ruth, we're almost out of time, but my last question kind of relates to um, to the one we just spoke of, and that is that when I look back on, on the first time I read your book, um, of course I look at it selfishly through my own lens, but the thing I gained mm-hmm. most was your admonition that you have to lead out of your authentic self, your spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. You can't act like what you're not. Um, yeah. And you have, and I have, you know, before that, I kind of felt like when I got up in front of a church on Sunday, I had to be a role. Where mm-hmm. after I read your book, I thought, no, I have to be a person more than yeah. I have to be a role. Yeah. And yeah. I've, first off, I can't tell you how much I have appreciated that. It's just great to talk to you so I can tell you that in person. Mm-hmm. But the oh, second thing, I feel like um, I wish that whenever anyone asks me about working at a church long term, that's the thing I say is you have to be yourself and you mm-hmm. have to encourage everyone on your team to be themselves. You can't, when, the minute we start putting on a mask, it's all over. Um, mm-hmm. So to talk about that, talk about that or your your urging that you do in your book to just let people be who they are authentically. Yes. Well, and I would put a finer nuance on that and say that we need to be our transforming selves. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us have a false self and all of us have a true self. The true self is hidden with Christ in God. The false self is all the, um, you know, the, the defensive mechanisms that, that we develop along the way to protect our little tender selves. Um, and so we need to be on the transformational journey. So my mantra is the best thing you bring to leadership is your own transforming self. And that is that you're actively engaged in the process of transformation. And when a leader is involved in their own process of transformation, then they become a transforming element, even without being strategic. Um, and that, that has to do with systems theory, that when one element of a system transforms and changes, the rest of the system will change as well. So when, when one leader is transforming and changing, their very presence becomes a transformative agent in that, in that community. Now, the flip side is true, too, which is what's so sobering. When we're not in a process of transformation and we're caught up in bondage to our false self patterns, then whatever is broken and dysfunctional and empty and 
um, destructive also gets reproduced um, and, and embedded in the system, which that, is very that, sobering for That us also leaders. came out loud and clear in your book. <laughs> yeah. So whatever work we right. don't do, everybody's going to suffer. Right. If we're not willing to work on ourselves and, and be fully engaged in a transformative process, everybody's going to be hurt by it. And whatever is broken in us is going to be reproduced hmm. in the organization that we're a part of. So I, I, I seriously believe that the best thing a leader can do is to be on a transforming journey themselves so that they are bringing that kind of a transforming element to, to the organization or the ministry or the church in which they are participating and in which they are leading. And there's a rigor to that. You know, a real transforming journey is going to be rigorous. Um, and yet it's, there's freedom. There's freedom on the other side because we're no longer in bondage to false self-patterns. We're able to give ourselves over to God and to others with authentic love and our authentic gifting without needing to push and without having so much ego attached to it and all that sort of thing. That's good. Always the goal. Ruth, thanks an awful lot. Uh, Enjoy the conversation. Listening to you and Kath suss us all out. Uh, You're welcome here anytime. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Blessings. Our pleasure. Thank you. Ruth Haley Barton, the expanded version of strengthening the soul of your leadership, seeking God in the crucible of ministry. It's out now. Ruth Haley Barton. Individual results may vary. He wasn't developing relationships with other children. He's mainly played by himself. I couldn't find anybody to help me. We did the psychiatrist and the psychologist and the neurologist and all the different ologists trying to find something that worked for him. School really wanted him medicated. I knew that Brooke could connect the dots, so to speak, because there was something just disconnected for her. Something Brain Balance did for me was help me understand why Louie was the way he was. What Brain Balance did was give us a very distinct game plan. We're going to get from point A to point B, and this is how we're going to do it. At school, the teachers can't believe the change that has come about. Now he has a voice, whereas before he didn't have one. So for that, we're so grateful to Brain Balance. It's just been amazing what Brain Balance has done for her. It's a totally different life. Why just mask your child's learning and behavioral issues when you can get to the root of the problem? Call Brain Balance today and make a real difference in the life of your child. Call 724-390-9012. That's 724-390-9012. Yeah, traffic. It is what it is. Installed cars on the Kennedy Expressway. Missed concerts, football games, lots of cold dinners, and cold shoulders from Cindy. How much longer do I have to do this? Kids miss me. Cindy misses me. Our marriage is missing me. With a financial strategy from Kurt Knodek. There he was on the radio again. Kurt Knodek. Yeah, retire sooner. So I called Kurt. We just talked about life, family. It felt right. Then come to find out, Kurt's personalized retirement planning showed me retirement wasn't as far off as I thought. Now the only thing I'm missing is the traffic. Let's talk. Accurate Solutions Group. 412-515-3355. That's 412-515-3355. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC, and Accurate Investment Solutions, Inc. You know the moment. The homework and dishes are done. Your family responsibilities have been met. The shoes slip off and you lay back. It's that end of day. Ah. <sighs> That's the relief you'll feel when you rest on the body-comforting orthopedic made locally at the original mattress factory. Relief from middleman markups and a hard day's work. The original mattress factory, thoughtfully made, honestly priced. 
OriginalMattress.com. Sponsoring a child with compassion is the most effective way to end extreme child poverty. Release a child from poverty when you become a compassion sponsor. Choose your child now at Compassion.com slash radio. Do your part to release a child from poverty today. Partly cloudy tonight. It will be a bit cooler overnight as we go down to a low of 52 degrees. A beautiful looking day tomorrow with an abundance of sunshine and turning much warmer for the afternoon hours. High tomorrow, 83. Clear skies tomorrow night, low 59. Then for Friday, again, we'll see a good deal of sunshine. Very warm, 86 degrees. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is with us. He's a regular guest on our show. Dr. Muehlhoff is a professor of communications at Biola University. His newest book is Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World, selected by Christianity Today for its Book of the Year Award in the category of Evangelism and Apologetics. Tim, welcome back, sir. How are you? Well, it's great to be here. Thanks. Tim, congratulations on that honor from CT. Oh, thank you. It was, yeah, it, was got, it got what they call a merit award, which oh, yeah. is a really nice way of right. saying second place. No, that's not true. <laughs> See, don't do that. I knew you'd try to minimize it. That's no, it really is. A merit does. award is second place, oh, but that's fine. We, we were thrilled. Yeah, yeah. Need, a lot of, of all the books would... that are out there, believe me, Tim, you should see our offices. They are overflowing every day with books. So to get two <laughs> right. out of eight billion, that's a good job. Yeah, that's exactly what John said. Well, thank you. Thank okay, so, um, Tim... I can't wait to hear how a study about an air conditioner usage, uh, how air conditioner usage can teach us about how the church can respond to tragedies. What's that about? Yeah, so there's a very famous study that was done where they went to a town and they asked everybody in the town by families, would you consider lowering how much you use an air conditioner in the summer? Now, the study was they brought the, they broke the town up into two parts. The first group, you and your family would just get together and say, we're going to lower it by 10%, 15%. But you didn't tell anybody else. It was just a family decision. The second half of the town, you had to go to a town meeting where you actually stood up and said, hey, the Muehlhoff family, we're committing to lowering uh, our usage by, let's say, 20%. But you did it in front of other people. The researchers were interested, well, who could who would eventually follow through on their promises? And overwhelmingly, it was the families that had to get up in a town meeting format mm. and say publicly, uh, this is what we're going to do. Now, what does that have to do with what's happening today? I really think the church is at a unique point today. I'm surprised after the Houston shooting, that tragedy, how many people said, we don't need your prayers. Please don't say that. Please don't say you're praying for us. It's almost become trite. So I think what we need to do is we need to start to have church meetings where we as a group, uh, as a congregation, say, okay, what are we going to do about these mass shootings? What are we going to do about this refugee crises? What are we going to do about the homeless in our community, the transgendered? And whatever decision we make, we need to say as a church, okay, let's do this. We are going to be committed uh, to doing something. So when it comes to these mass shootings, I really think the country is at a tipping point, and the statistics about our country is just heartbreaking. Like, did you realize that uh, America has had 57 times as many shootings, mass shootings, as Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the United Kingdom all combined? Wow. Mm. 
So something is happening in our yeah. country, and we've got to rise up at the, at the church and to say, okay, politically, what can we do? But whatever we do, let's talk about it as a congregation and hold each other accountable to do whatever we need to do, mm-hmm. write letters, yeah. how we vote, and things like that. So if we say we're going to do something for the homeless, let's say it as a congregation and hold each other accountable that this is the practical steps we're going to take. Oh, that's good. Okay, so I think that, um, funny you bring this up, I think because our congregation is having their semi-annual sort of uh, church meeting this weekend. And so uh, as the congregation would gather, something like this that was produced by the elders and then put out on the docket for discussion, that, you know, this church is interested in X. Mm-hmm. And so as we toss this ball around at this church meeting and open up the forum and have a conversation, we're looking for solutions or an action plan of how we can, as a church body, attack and engage in this particular problem. That's what you're saying, yeah? Yeah, and not everybody needs to sign off on it. Like, the, the whole church doesn't say, okay, this is going to be the singular thing that we do. Yeah. But whatever faction says, okay, we are so disturbed by these mass shootings that we, we actually want to try to get some legislation passed. We actually want to try locally to try to get some things done. That faction, this is where the air conditioner study comes in, they meet together and not just go off individually and try to do things, but collectively they get up in a subgroup, let's say, and we all say, okay, we're all committed, right? We're all going to write letters and we're going to hold each other accountable. We're all going to talk to our representatives. Uh, What laws do we feel like we can try to enact that might Mm -hmm. help curb this? And I think for the Houston one, um, I think it, I read a column by a person on CNN that I thought was fascinating and brilliant. He said, you know, if I had a party at my house and people were drinking and got drunk and then somebody went out and got into a car accident, I'm held accountable because it was my liquor cabinet that got people drunk. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think one law that would make a lot of sense is this troubled individual who killed 10 people in that Texas high school. That was his father's uh, shotgun and thirty-eight. So I think the same logic should apply. Now, the NRA is absolutely opposed to that and has successfully lobbied against that. But but I think we should rise up and say, okay, but what can we do politically? What are the things we want to try to do? Uh, And I think the key part of that study is, but say it publicly and hold each other accountable to action. Mm -hmm. We need to take a quick break. From Biola University, we're talking to Tim Uhlhoff. So what does this shooting in Houston have to do with air conditioning and the church body? Tim's laying this out for us. The church in action. Our conversation continues in a bit. Message and data rates may apply. Texting and roles for recurring text messages. Here's a secret couples therapist want you to know. Happy couples sleep better. I'm Trina Webster, co-founder of Z Quiet. And I'm Dan Webster. I love my husband, but his snoring was like an alarm clock waking me up all night. My snoring was pretty bad. We were desperate for a solution, and we finally found it with Z-Quiet. It literally changed our lives. With Z-Quiet, we wake up rested and happy and, best of all, in the same bed. Z-Quiet couldn't be easier to use and works immediately. Z-Quiet comes with a 30-night better sleep guarantee. You have nothing to lose. For 10 years, we've been saving relationships one night at a time. Don't wait another night. Go to GetZQuiet.com today. Z-Quiet fits both men and women. Try it risk-free for 30 days for just $9.95. Text SLEEP to 246810 or go to GetZQuiet.com. Try it risk-free for 
for 30 days for just $9.95. Text SLEEP to 246810 or go to GetZQuiet.com. The nation's largest Christian music festival, Creation Northeast, celebrating its 40th anniversary, returns to Agape Farm in Mount Union, Pennsylvania, June 27th through the 30th, featuring Toby Mack, for King and Country, Jeremy Cam, Bethel Music, Mandisa, Hillsong Young and Free, Jordan Feliz, a special reunion of classic Petra and more. Plus speakers Tony Nolan, Reed Saunders, Keith Adamson, Abdu Murray, Vince Patali, and more. Four jam-packed days of music, as well as inspiring worship and teaching on our new worship stage, where the Word of God is shared in spirit and in truth. Plus children's entertainment, candle lighting service, camping under the stars, and more. Join thousands of believers at Creation Northeast, with over 75 bands and speakers, June 27th through the 30th. Tickets and more available online at creationfest.com. Don't miss out on Creation Northeast. It will be the highlight of your summer, maybe your life. More info at creationfest.com. From Biola University, we're speaking with author and teacher Tim Muehlhoff about air conditioning and the church's mission. Tim, for those listeners just joining us, we've been talking about how do, how we deal communicationally with the mass shootings that are going on in our country and how we talk about that and make commitments to change. And here's, here's the problem that I've had in, in the con, when I think of the conversation we're having in America. The, the problem I have is that there seems to be a lack of what can I do? And there seems to be a, there seems to be a glut of this is your fault. Finger pointing. And whenever yeah. and whenever that's going on, there's just there's no growth that's going to happen. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so we're in a tough situation, but and that's not going to improve. I think it can improve locally. Mm-hmm. So the book Winston right. Persuasion really is about local action rather than national action. I mean, nationally, that's just above my pay grade. I, I just don't know. I can't fix the national discourse, but I think locally. There's things we can do. So let me mention two things I think the church can mobilize very quickly. I have a son who's in Sacramento right now doing a, a political fellowship a one year, and he's assigned to a senator. And he's in charge of receiving um, um, opinions from constituents. So Jason said to me, he said, Dad, I'm ordered that when somebody sends an email, a letter, or calls the office, one person is to count as, hold your breath, 20 people. What? 20. So that, that's what the senator wants to know, how many people have called, and they times that times 20. Now think about a church of 500. Think of a church of 300. Wow. Mm-hmm. If everybody mobilized and said, we're calling our representatives saying, we want to have a town hall meeting. Hmm. We, want to, we want to know what's being done about the concerns of protecting our kids or the homeless or the transgendered. Your voice actually could be multiplied and have a great impact. So, again, let's mobilize the church to find certain things that we can do, and and let's talk to our representatives and let's voice our concerns. So, Tim, the the senator's office is assigning that number 20 because they figure one person's moved to action, but 20 other people are thinking along those same terms. Yes. I was shocked, John, when he said it. I I actually put it in the book, Winsome Persuasion, when he told me that, because that that gives me great hope. The second thing I think we need to do, and this is a distinctly Christian um, mobilization, is we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, Jesus, 25% of everything he said had to do with spiritual battle. And I have a book that's coming out at the end of September on the reality of spiritual battle. Oh, that's good. So when we listen to that our country is 57 times greater 
in Canada, France, Germany, Italy, something's happening in our country. And biblically, we know that that is both economically driven, politically driven, uh, but it's also spiritually driven. So I think a church could mobilize and to say, listen, we're going to enact the key part of our spiritual armor. We're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray for the protection of these kids along spiritual lines and use our authority as the church to fight back against spiritual forces that are, are uh, deeply impacting our communities. We don't need to make that public, per se, but we understand that there's a spiritual reality that is just as real as anything else, and we need to take seriously what the Bible says about a spiritual warfare that we're seeing evidenced every day on our nightly and national news. That's good. Now, Tim, if you brought this up, right, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about this through thought this through, but in a secular perspective, if you talked about the nature of evil in this world, a lot of people would say, I don't believe in that. That's not such a a force in this world. That's, you know, in some Christian's head. Yeah, and it depends on how you frame it, John. So I can, you're right, I wouldn't talk about the devil, because everybody thinks of a far side comic with, you know, a devil with horns and red underwear and a pitchfork. But when I talk about evil, uh, like UCLA invited me to come. This was hilarious. They invited me to come, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ crew, invited me to come because they did a campus-wide survey. If you could ask God one question, what would the question be? And they, they surveyed UCLA. The number one question was, why is there so much evil in the world today? So I went, imagine that, going to answer for God. I got a kick out of that. And uh, my wife would say that this is perfect for you. you know? um, so I went and, and talked about I said, listen, there's a ton of reasons we can talk about evil in the world today. And I think we should cover all bases. But I wonder if the evil is becoming so deep, so dark, that is it possible that evil can be personalized? Is that possible? And I just threw that out to the audience, and I didn't get sneers. I didn't get mm-hmm. people yelling back. Again, one possibility. I'm not blaming everything at Satan's feet, but, but I found people pretty willing to say, you know what, things are so concerning in the world today. I wonder if there isn't something happening behind the curtain that's spurring us on. And I found that they were open if the timing was right to bring up that kind of a conceptualization of what's happening. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your viewpoint on Always that. Thoughtful. I think it's, yeah, and I think it's, I think it's really helpful today. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Bye, you too. Tim Muehlhoff. He's from Biola University. His latest work, Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff. It costs about $47,000 a year to keep one person in prison. With 2.3 million inmates in the U.S., that's over $60 billion a year. And what about the cost in broken marriages and families, the wives and kids of inmates who are doing time on the outside? Thankfully, Kairos Prison Ministry is making a difference. In fact, this nonprofit, non-denominational ministry has been around for nearly 40 years, training Christian men and women like you and me to proclaim the gospel to inmates and their families and to demonstrate the tangible love of Jesus Christ. And they do it all free of charge for state and federal institutions, reducing the rate of recidivism from 50 to 20%. If you've been looking to do something bold and meaningful for God, consider doing time with inmates and their families. New 25-member teams are forming now. To find out more, call 412-368-6691. Kairos Prison Ministry, 412-368-6691. 
Get away without going far. Lose yourself without being lost. At Antiochian Village near historic Ligonier, 300 acres of pristine woodlands await to refresh and inspire you. With 100 hotel-style lodging rooms, 20 meeting rooms, amazing food, and award-winning desserts, it's 360 degrees of mountain views bathed in the warmth of Christian hospitality. Book your next church or youth retreat now at antiochianvillage.org. Hi, this is Clint Hurdle, manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I want to invite you to the ballpark on Friday, July 27th for our annual Faith Night at PNC Park. After we host the Mets, some of our players and I will be discussing what an important role that faith has played in our lives, both on and off the field. Join us and visit piratescom faithnight to reserve your seats. We're looking forward to seeing you at the ballpark. More details at wordfm.com slash pirates. You know the moment. The homework and dishes are done. Your family responsibilities have been met. The shoes slip off and you lay back. It's that end of day. Ah. That's the relief you'll feel when you rest on the body-comforting orthopedic made locally at the original mattress factory. Relief from middleman markups and a hard day's work. The Original Mattress Factory. Thoughtfully made, honestly priced. OriginalMattress.com John, did you know that today is World Turtle Day? I did not. Well, you didn't know it because you don't have turtles anymore. No. Because they would have told you. Well, there was a time when I was deeply invested in turtles. Two of them. Yes. In particular. Skippy and Milu. Who are now... Well, um, so after a long um, time at our house. How many years? Uh, I would say uh, eight or nine, yeah, perhaps. That's, I mean, it's a long-term commitment. And, uh, you know, increasingly I added more equipment and a larger. When they left, they were encased, in, in these two turtles, in a 75-gallon aquarium with a heater, with rocks, with a gigantic filter, well-fed with crickets and Jeez, and worms John, I mean, and regular food. I, I got to give it to you. Well, I was a sole – you know, it, it, at first they were for, like for the little kids, and mm-hmm. the little kids grew into teenage boys who could have cared less. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at the end I was like, I'm just – you know, I love these turtles, but I, I'm, it's time that they moved on. And I – so I searched on the web, and I found, by the grace of God – Someone here locally who him and his son do turtle rescue. And I met this guy. So we talked on the phone. He seemed like a really sane guy. Like he wasn't going to take my turtles and make them into soup, which I was really worried about. Sure. I want to make sure these turtles ended in a, a good place. I met this guy in a parking lot down at the mall. and Behind the mall? No, no. In front of the mall. Okay. Just making sure. And I, you know, I brought the equipment. I said, what do you want? He goes, I'll take whatever you want. So anyway, this guy rescues these turtles. And during the school year, he parcels these turtles out to all the oh, different schoolrooms. Okay. And then when school's over, he takes them back. Okay. He said, in my basement, he said, I've got like 10 of those little kitty, those blue kitty pools yeah. that I take care of the turtles. And then outside, I've got a gated yard so no raccoons or possums can come in. I've got a pond where my also mother in the summertime. Oh my gosh. Skippy and Milu are like oh, living the high life. They're like in a resort somewhere. So I felt really good about this was the right guy to give my turtles to. And occasionally I think about them. Do you? Well, you know, you wonder how you they're know, doing. I'll skip. How's that crazy Milu? You know? Sure. I loved him. Sure. That's Just, great. It's so a World can Turtle you, Day. Can you love a reptile? Listen, my brother-in-law, who lives in Virginia, he has box turtles in his backyard. 
and um, you know, the, there's no maintenance required there. All he does, his yard is fenced in to keep out the predators. Mm-hmm. But in the wintertime, these these box turtles go under the compost pile, and then as spring arrives, they come out. You go down to visit them. There's turtles walking around the yard. It's really cool. But can you love a reptile? I think you can. I was at a pet store. I won't say the name, but they were selling this big, I mean, a big, like, let me, I'm spreading my arms out. It's the size of like a garbage can lid. There was a turtle. A turtle that big? Yes. Okay, that's felt, horrible. I felt horrible that's for that turtle. Right, right. Because I'm sure he was right. an, an ancient turtle. Right. Somehow it came their way. But if, if I had a turtle like that in a yard that was yeah. fenced in, I'd love that Yeah, turtle. I would too. But that, that, yeah, that is, I guess that is cool. Very cool. So, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, I've just never loved a lizard. Well, turtles are like dinosaurs. You think, yes. you know, they've been around forever. They have survived all. So we have, I feel like we have a responsibility to take care of turtles. I love them. Good. When you see okay. the, the, like the turtles on the beach and rushing into the water and trying to survive, that's so cool to me. It's ancient. Well, happy World Turtle Day, John. Happy World Turtle happy Day Happy World you. Turtle Day to you, new Mike. Yes, and Skippy yeah. and Milu, wherever you are, God bless you. Yeah. We salute you. Yes, Kawabunga. Yeah. Mutant Ninja. Ninja Turtle. Sharing the word that changes the world. 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. President Trump says he believes the FBI has been caught in a spy scandal after finding out there was an informant in his 2016 presidential campaign, and he hopes lawmakers and top government officials can figure it out during Thursday's meeting with top FBI and Justice Department officials, along with two Republican congressmen. We now call it Spygate. You're calling it Spygate. A lot of bad things have happened. I want them all to get together. They'll sit in a room. Hopefully they'll be able to work it out among themselves. On Wall Street today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was... Uh, and we don't have the latest on that. Uh, we will get those figures a little while later. Wisconsin GOP Congressman Mike Gallagher tells the Salem Radio Network that there are many unanswered questions related to the FBI's use of an informant in the Trump presidential campaign. This is SRN News. A moo-moo here and a moo-moo there. Here a moo, there a moo, everywhere a moo-moo. Hi there, it's me, Marsha from the Springhouse, inviting you out to our real working dairy farm in 84 PA on the Saturday before Memorial Day for our annual Farm Heritage Day. During this annual event, two giant tents will hold 20-plus old-time crafters, sharing their wares with you like sheep shearing, wool spinning, quilting, and leather punching. Our old-fashioned chore girls will be churning butter, kneading bread dough and rolling pie dough and they'll need lots of helpers too take the tour of our modern milking facility where you get to try your hand at milking sally the tour cow the springhouse cooks will feature all kinds of fabulous eats inside too so come hungry for hot roast beef and gravy real mashed potatoes and so much more farm heritage day at the springhouse on saturday of memorial day weekend 11 to 4 let us share a little of our farm with you springhousemarket.com or give us a call at 724-228-3339 at extreme car and truck in bridgeville find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs like hauling landscape supplies protect your vehicle with spray on bed liners tonneau covers weather tech floor liners and more say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing plus lift kits electronics and remote starters always a favorite Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville for the extreme in all of us. 
at extremetruck.net. Hello, everybody. I'm Tunch Elkin, and I'd like to invite you to join me, head coach Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Leon Scrum from Atlanta, and Ed Glover of Urban Impact for Man Up Pittsburgh on Saturday, June 9th at Victory Family Church in Cranberry. Come experience fellowship, prayer, worship while hearing powerful messages and attend breakout sessions, all designed for us to up our games as godly men and mentors. From high schoolers to grandfathers, this is for you. Register today at manuppittsburgh.org. Hosted by Urban Impact and brought to you locally by Chick-fil-A of Pittsburgh. When wet weather is on the way, keep it dry inside with J&D Waterproofing. Water seepage and a sinking foundation can cause major structural damage if left untreated. Joe Belanti and the team at J&D Waterproofing have the experience to correct your water problem with over 72 years in the industry. Call the Tri-State's premier waterproofing company now at 1-800-VERY-DRY for a free estimate and big savings on all waterproofing services for a limited time. J&D Waterproofing, 1-800-VERY-DRY. Lumber Liquidators is celebrating the opening of our 400th store, so we're putting over 400 floors on sale. That means huge savings for you. Get pre-finished hardwood and bamboo up to 36% off, including new styles like Mediterranean maple and bestsellers like silver stone bamboo. Take 25% off all Dream Home Laminate and 10 to 15% off our best waterproof floors. More from just 49 cents, plus special financing and professional installation. Hurry, get to your local lumber liquidators today. Clear to partly cloudy tonight. It will be a bit cooler overnight as we go down to a low of 52 degrees. A beautiful looking day tomorrow with an abundance of sunshine and turning much warmer for the afternoon hours. High tomorrow, 83. Clear skies tomorrow night, low 59. Then for Friday, again, we'll see a good deal of sunshine. Very warm, 86 degrees. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. It's another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy for Wednesday, May 23rd. On the way this hour, choosing Donald Trump, God, anger, hope, and why Christian conservatives supported him. Our guest is New York Times bestselling author Stephen Mansfield. And a new study suggests nearly half of all millennials plan to leave their job within two years. John and Kathy will talk about that at 545. Thanks for joining us. Stick around. Here they are now, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along today. Promises to be an interesting hour, so hope you uh, stay with that. Also, we're going to give away some pirate tickets this hour in uh, in the celebration of the upcoming Faith Night. I'm going to be there. Kathy, going to go to Faith Night again? Am I going to go to Faith Night Are you? Again? You good? Yeah. All I right. think I'm going to go to Faith Night again. Mike, you as well, right? Definitely. Most Always, definitely. always good. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love Faith Ton Night. Of fun. Mm-hmm. We're going to be on General Robinson Street on Faith Night. Uh, we're going to be handing out T-shirts Will and we? saying hi to people. We give away T-shirts? Yeah. Okay. I thought that meeting we had, we were going to give away refrigerator magnets instead. Oh, I'd like to get. I'd like. I, I need a refrigerator magnet. What are you kidding me? I have so many refrigerators. No, magnets. I need one. I, what? Here's, Why? I'm, I'm kind of particular about my refrigerator magnets. Of course, there is a pecking order. Yeah, yeah. and I, I like style. particular ones. Yeah. Is there anything worse? Well, there's a lot of things worse than a refrigerator magnet that refuses to do its job. I can't stand it. I, and I got to be honest with you, I like round ones better mm. because when you have a rectangular square one. It's obvious when it's crooked. 
Because <laughs> yeah. the ref- your refrigerator always square, right, right? right? And so when the square thing on the large square thing mm-hmm. is crooked, then it doesn't look square and you have to go up and fix it. And then yeah. you're like, it was just so much simpler if it was a circle. I have a uh, refrigerator magnet graveyard on the freezer downstairs. Oh, so the ones that you boot end yeah, up down there? Yeah, they end up downstairs. And so then you walk right. by the freezer and go, oh, that's when the kids were like little. We had those Oh, that's, that's sweet. You know, memory lane. But you don't throw those away? No, nah, I keep them hanging around. Okay, see, no if, you, see if you were doing the purge of your house like I am, they'd oh, be out of there. Okay. You'd have no pity. All right, fascinating story on happiness. Oh. A study was just done by a team of happiness researchers. That would be a good job. I want to be this person, yeah. right? At the Vancouver School of Economics at McGill University. And they've recently published a working paper on the geography of well-being in the entire country of Canada. Oh. Okay? So they've compiled 400,000 responses to a pair of national Canadian surveys. And so they've been able, as a result of that, to parse out distinctions on well-being in 1,200 different communities, which they say, because it's so well uh, um, dispersed across the country of Canada that they're able to assess the well-being of all of Canada. Whoa. Okay. That's super cool. It really is. And their goal, how happy are people and why are they happy or unhappy? Hmm. Okay. So there are a lot of different things, but but the crux of it is this. They wanted to find out what sort of characteristics were associated with happiness at the community level. And they asked these questions. Are happier communities richer? Okay. Are people in happier communities more educated? Do people in happier communities spend more time in church? Okay. So they're they're wondering all these things. Faith element, yeah. Okay. But what they found, they ranked 1,215 communities across the entire expanse of Canada. And they found this. Life is significantly less happy in urban areas. Really? That if you live in a small town, you're likely to be happier. No kidding. Oh, there we go. Right on cue there. Thank you, Mike. People who live in small towns mm-hmm. are happier. Are happier. By a significant margin, actually. In the region around the city of Toronto, densely populated areas like Toronto, Hamilton, Kitchener stand out mm. as islands of relative unhappiness. In a sea of satisfaction in the hinterlands. Well, that's interesting. Okay, now I've lived in small towns and Mm -hmm. I've lived in major metropolitan cities. My time in the major cities, markedly much more unhappy than in small towns. Is that right? Okay, so you would, this this study kind of says what you have experienced in your own life. For me personally, yeah, yeah. Okay, can you break down why you were, okay, so you, you were living in Manhattan. Yes. Like the biggest of the big. Yeah. And why were you unhappy when you were there? Um, because I was disconnected. What I know growing up, now look, now you know, we live in this, so I, I grew up in Swissvale in the late 60s and early 70s, which was a fabulous little community. And I remember walking down the street as a boy, 11, 12 years old, and knowing so many people. I mean, people knew me and I knew them and I knew their families. And I believe that's the, that's the basis because in a small town, for better or worse, you're out there. Right, so they knew my dad, then they knew me. They knew my brother, they knew me. I mean, all my, all that connection, all that relationship to me cemented me in that town. Okay, but what about there? I mean, they say there's no city in the world like New York City. 
I mean, the the amount of culture, the Which amount of activity, the Lovely. amount of food, the amount of excitement and, you yep. know, tourist things. There is and, all that. And, you know, everything from parks to music sure. to education Undeniable. to health care, all of that. Undeniable. That was not enough to, to weigh the scales in favor of you staying there. No, no. I was just – just me personally – I was miserable in New York City. I told you this before. One of the happiest days of my life was I was driving in my rented U-Haul, looking in my rearview mirror, ready to go through the Lincoln Tunnel going, goodbye. I'm done. And I was happy to leave. Now, it's nice to visit, but I don't want to live there. All right. Well, you weren't a part of this study, were you? I mean, I don't think listen so. to me. Everything that you just said is mentioned pretty really, much really. in the study. Yeah. Um, people in the happiest communities are less transient Okay, so they're they're more stable. You right? know people. They're more likely to attend church, and they are significantly more likely to feel a quote unquote sense of belonging, hmm. which is ironic because based on the number of people that you were living in close proximity to in New York City, you'd think that you'd have a sense of belonging because people are no. living on top of each no, other. No, 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 no. Here's the deal: in New York City, ideally, you choose not to make eye contact with people. Because you never know, there's just you're surrounded by crazy people. So to not engage the citizenry, you just you isolate. Mm. Everyone's an island. At least that's how it felt to me. Okay. Well, this study goes on to say that a strong social network is the key to well-being. Okay. So that strong social there's network no about that. can be shown in your neighborhood, your small town neighborhood, your small town church, whatever that is. But the strong social network is the number one yeah. thing. The more you are known. And the more people that mm-hmm. you can count on in your circle to, you know, to support you, to be with you, to love you, the, there's no doubt you're going to be healthier. Okay. Now, perhaps even more surprising, and again, I'm reading from the Washington Post. Perhaps even more surprising, they say, are the factors that do not appear to play a major role in happiness. And they are average income levels and rates of unemployment and rates of education. Really? That's interesting. Right. So income level. Rates of unemployment and rates of education are not significant factors that determine whether you're happy or not. Hmm. Now, isn't that fascinating? Sure that is. a sense of belonging is way more important to people than rates of unemployment. So it's funny you bring that up because I never, and this is the truth, I never thought about money like I did when I lived in Manhattan because the disparity was so great. I mean, you'd see, and you'd go, I can't afford that. I can't do, even though, you know, there's Broadway, the Broadway ticket was beyond our reach. Or so you had to find a way. And so then I found myself longing for things that I didn't necessarily Mm, need. That you didn't even, you you wanted them just because you saw them around you? Right, because it's, all Manhattan is, is just one big advertisement that you must do this, be that, live this, you know. And so there's this huge gulf between the haves and the have-nots. And I found myself, you know, with the have-nots, which there are plenty more have-nots than there are the haves. And you kind of go, well, why can't I have that? And for the first time in my life, I was income disgruntled where I never was living here in the city of Pittsburgh. Okay, let me say one other thing. Say this. There's something about small towns and rural life, which you haven't really talked about, but rural life is also included in this, that's associated with greater levels, levels of self-reported happiness among people who live in those places. Um, what's so 
um, distinctive about this study is that they have mapped it to such uncommonly fine levels of geographic detail that they're able to look at people. And again, this is Canada. There are a lot fewer people in Canada, but they're able to pinpoint people living in mountainous communities that are really, really isolated to people living in farmlands, to people living in big cities like Toronto. They're able, they've mapped it so closely. And the fact that their findings have been this consistent is what's making people talk about this study. That's interesting. Now, of course, small towns, there's a lot to be said about them, but they are not for everyone. Now, I could I could tell you 10 of my friends who I lived with, who I, I knew in New York City in theater circles, they were like, man, I was a square peg in a, you know, a, square peg in a round hole. I, in my hometown as a theater guy or whatever, I did not fit in. So I could not wait to get out of there because I was the oddball. And so if you are, if you are the oddball in the small town- There's no place for you to go. No, you'll tend to suffer more, right? right? right. So in a larger city, you're more homogenized. You tend to blend in because everybody's kind of a little weird. Right. And the study also said is that for people who tend to be miserable, they can be miserable in either place. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not like if they move to a small town, they're going to be magically happy when they were miserable all the time. So it's not like it's like, you know, it's it's a it's a a fix all for everybody. However, it is the uh, just the the formation of similar attitudes in multiple geographic areas in one country Mm -hmm. is just absolutely fascinating. So let me ask you this. When you lived in Swissvale growing up, you said that was a small town. Oh, yeah. Well, but here's the thing. Swissvale is eight minutes from downtown Pittsburgh. So it's not like you're living in the middle of a farm in Kansas. No, it's not. But I remember being a boy and like getting on the Pat bus to drive into downtown Pittsburgh. You know, that, that was a world apart. When you did that, when you arrived in downtown, when I arrived in downtown Pittsburgh, that felt like, boom, the city is here. But, you know, in your own small town, whether it's, you know, Swissvale or Zelianople or whatnot, still not far from the city of Pittsburgh, there was, you know, a structure. The mayor, the council, the schools. Okay, okay. so what you're saying is what people say about Pittsburgh, is that it's a big city, but it feels like a bunch of little towns. Exactly. Okay. There's no doubt about that. Okay. That's so what makes maybe, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Maybe in Pittsburgh, we have the best of both worlds. Until Amazon arrives. <laughs> And then all bets are off. You have such a negative attitude. I do. I really do. Okay. I think it could be great. So the verdict's in. People who live in small towns are happier. In Canada. Generally. Than those in big towns. But if you're unhappy, some people are just unhappy no matter where they live. Right. So so if you think that just moving is going to cheer you up, I mean, I wouldn't count on that. 101.5 WORD. Next time on PowerPoint with Jack Cram. What is the way of escape that the Bible talks about? Well, three ways that Jesus responded, just as the scriptures tell us here in the book of James. We submit to God, we resist the devil, and we draw near to the Lord. Tune in next time for PowerPoint with Jack Graham. PowerPoint, tonight at 9.30 on 101.5 WORD. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the 
the Community Tax Helpline at 800-500-5588. If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. Dentistry isn't what it used to be. It's really come a long way. Stock Family Dentistry's Dr. Megan Stock. The pain management techniques, the comfort that we can offer now really make it a much more pleasant experience. We have a great team. They really help to put a patient at ease. Dentistry, in my opinion, shouldn't be a fear-inducing experience. And it really, I think, goes a long way for patients when I'm able to develop that one-on-one relationship with them. On Perry Highway in Wexford at StockFamilyDentistry.com. You run your HVAC unit more than you run your car. But would you go a whole year without servicing your car? Prolong your unit's life and avoid expensive breakdowns with Pellis Heating and Cooling. Pellis will service your system to keep your unit running strong. Of course, if you have an emergency, a Pellis tech is available 24 hours a day with after-hour calls returned within 15 minutes. Keep your family comfortable with a comfortable family company. Pellis, P-E-L-L-E-S, at PellisHVAC.com. The nation's largest Christian music festival, Creation Northeast, celebrating its 40th anniversary, returns to Agape Farm in Mount Union, Pennsylvania, June 27th through the 30th, featuring Toby Bath, For King and Country, Jeremy Camp, Bethel Music, Mendisa, Hillsong Young and Free, Jordan Feliz, a special reunion of classic Petra and more, plus speakers Tony Nolan, Reed Saunders, Keith Adams, Abdu Murray, Vince Vitale, and more. Join thousands of believers at Creation Northeast. It will be the highlight of your summer, maybe your life, or in at creationfest.com. Hi, I'm John Henney from Henny Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our to have and to hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit hennyjewelers.com. Henny Jewelers. Your jewelers for life. He was the most unusual party nominee in American history. He had never held a public office. He made his wealth and his reputation in cutthroat real estate deals and as an owner of gambling casinos. He specialized in breaking the rules. His campaign was one of the least orthodox, least disciplined, and least focused in U.S. political history, and still he won his party's nomination handily. The immorality of his prior life alone set him apart as an American presidential candidate. He had been married three times, publicly boasted of his marital infidelities. During his campaign, he swore. He mocked the handicapped. He insulted nearly every ethnicity in the United States, and he was eager to expose the sins of his political rivals. But none of it did him harm. He seemed coated in invisible Teflon. Even a decade-old recording of him describing sexual conquests did him no lasting damage. He couldn't mangle a fact or lob an insult so as to hurt himself in the polls. He was bulletproof. He was untouchable. He became the 45th president of the United States. And yet, none of this was as surprising as the support from religious Americans that Donald Trump commanded. 
At his side stood some of the most visible faith leaders in the nation. Famous preachers declared him God's man. Eminent theologians said he was chosen. Others said he was a Lincoln, perhaps not as an Orthodox believer, but guided nevertheless by the better angels of his nature and the hand of a history-ruling God. A few even said he was a Churchill, crass, blasphemous, gifted, but ordained. The much maligned religious right knew, though, and realized in amazement that Donald Trump, of all people, had made himself a champion of their cause. Those words written by Stephen Mansfield. His brand new work is called Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. Stephen Mansfield joins us now. Stephen, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's great to be with you again. Thank you. Stephen, you've written about several presidents at this point. Um, Writing about Donald Trump, how is it different? Well, it's much different because when I wrote The Faith of George W. Bush and The Faith of Barack Obama, though their faiths were very different, they had defining faiths, defining theologies, if you will, that shaped their lives. But uh, I didn't have the same uh, sense of Donald Trump. He didn't. I don't think you can say that he's had a religious life that has been defining in his life, um, even even if you accept the view of some that he's had a conversion of late. So it was different, and I, I didn't want to title the book The Faith of uh, as though the, my assumption was that there was some defining faith. So instead I wrote about the religious issues and the religious tensions that came, the perfect storm, really, that occurred in the 2016 presidential election. Yes, and it is a perfect storm, isn't it, Stephen? And I'm sure when you told people that you were writing a book about President Trump, and no exaggeration, I'm sure, he must be the most divisive figure in United States history, at least in the modern era. Yeah, there's just no question. I mean, we, we, he basically is a New Jersey brawler. Uh, psychologically, he's built in such a way that he, he finds conflict, uh, summons the best of him, or at least he feels that way. So I think he's the kind of guy who gets up in the morning, feels a little bit, uh, maybe less than energetic, uh, a little bit without vision, so he picks a fight. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that when he picks a fight, you know, his, his energy starts stirring, and he's focused, and he's up and at it. Uh, and we, you know, we all know people like that the rest of our lives. I think that's how Donald Trump is. So, yes, he's very divisive, and I think he thrives on it. Right. You know, here we are on this daily radio program. And so, Kath and I, we try to walk down, you know, the middle of the road, for better or worse, especially as far as politics are concerned, because for us, it's a, it's a no-win situation. Whether you speak ill or positive of President Trump, depending upon the day and the nature, we get many, many emails. We talked about President Trump on Monday, and immediately our, our emails came in, and someone said this. Someone said this, no one in this world could hold up against this hatred. God is backing Trump. Pro-life, must be pro-life president, best pro-life president ever. Pro-American, pro-black, check Larry Elder, etc. Pro-women, check out the five Ansley Earnhardt. Beautiful Christian people who get it. Tom. I mean, that's that's indicative of the people who, you know, and we weren't even criticizing the president, but people look at it and say, because you're saying the president's name on a conservative Christian station and you're not in all the way, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I, I, I certainly understand that thinking, and I confront it all the time. And it's part of our social media culture, the way that our culture has aligned on politics, where we have to see everything in black and white, in absolutes, no, yes, good, bad. 
Absolutely. And instead, I think, a Christian perspective, if I may be so bold, uh, is that we can be grateful for positive policy initiatives. You know, I'm, I'm right of center, I'm pro-life, I yes. uh, you know, want to support Israel, I, I, a lot of, there are a lot of things I like, the Gorsuch nomination, yep. so I can celebrate those things. Of course, I believe in a strong defense, and I want to see religious liberty defended. At the same time, I don't have to make the sign of the cross over everything that Donald Trump does, any more than I would have with Obama or George W. Bush, whom I've also written about. Um, so I think we have to be a little bit more nuanced. We have to be grateful for the good things that happen, um, but 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 not just uh, brand you know do a religious rebranding of the candidates so we make them uh, the sort of messianic in a sense. And I think this is the one of the complaints I bring to the fore in the book, which is that a lot of reli- of our religious leaders supported Donald Trump, but not in a way that was nuanced, not in a way that was wise, not in a way that maintained prophetic distance. Instead, they were just all in, helped with the religious rebranding, labeled him God's man, and uh, and I think, you know, basically, to use our crass phrase today, got in bed with the candidate. Well, now we've got you know, evangelicalism, almost a bad name for a lot of people in our culture because they see it as simply the just religious justification for Donald Trump. And I think we've stepped down off the high pulpit that we could have had. Stephen, one of the things I gained from reading this book, and I gained many things, but I, I don't think I appreciated the president's hunger for spirituality that you lay out in the book. So I wonder if you could talk about... Um, Talk about his first speech at Liberty University in 2012 and then his second one last year. Um, actually, it was in 16. Um, can you tell those stories and, and what they uh, reveal to you? Well, I, I think Donald Trump is a man with a faith history. He, we know he was raised in the Presbyterian Church. We know that he was mentored by Norman Vincent Peale. And by the time he ran for president, and even before, um, he was he had, he had tremendous welcome at Liberty University. But the speeches were very revealing. Um, and, and one of the first ones, he gave a speech, of course, in which he both said he would defend religious liberty and and that he was very much, uh, you know, wanted to invoke the blessing of God. But then he told, he gave the students principles of success, uh, among which were, you know, stick it to your enemies and, uh, you know, pay back when you're wronged and things like that, as though he had absolutely no idea that this is the opposite of the teaching uh, of the Jesus who is at the foundation, uh, at least in theory, of, of Liberty University. I don't mean that pejoratively. I've had many family members go to Liberty. Um, also an interesting thing in the, in the second speech um, is that he had a picture of himself in his Presbyterian church. This is when he was a little boy uh, on, his, on the day he was baptized. He wanted to make sure that picture was shown, and so he called repeatedly and made sure the media guys had it set up. And He didn't do this through assistance. He called himself, and it was getting kind of funny at Liberty University, they tell me, that here's Donald Trump calling constantly about this. So anyway, it just goes to show that he wants to curry favor with religious figures. He has a strong sense of their power. I think he's got a, a, a newly awakened hunger for God. Uh, but he's just naive and confused about exactly what the gospel is. Right. And and so then maybe the, the sadness for us, um, who really, uh, I mean, I strive to, to want the best for the president, as of course I want the best for our country, is that what any of us need when we are spiritually hungry and when we are eager to to be accepted by people who are spiritual is we need somebody to tell us the truth. Yes, and I think he's got some people around him who are courageous enough to say the truth. You're just never sure of how much is getting in. 
Um, Johnny Moore is a friend of mine. He's one of the coordinators of the Evangelical Council. Um, other people on there are friends of mine. I'm not, I'm not just dropping names. I'm saying I'm hearing firsthand that the truth is being spoken, that they do say, sir, you, can't, you shouldn't use language like that. You shouldn't call all kneeling NFL players SOBs. Uh, you know, that's the, you, you've got to be careful about what you say. And, and, uh, and, and let's make sure your prayer life is what it ought to be. And are you reading the Bible? And things like that. They say those things. But we all know that a 70-year-old Donald Trump is a difficult person to pastor. And so um, I don't, we just don't know what's getting through. And on any given day, Donald Trump can do something wise in policy and terrible socially uh, and terrible racially and terrible religiously that, that does our, the cause ultimate damage. Stephen Mansfield is with us. He's a New York Times bestselling author of The Faith of George W. Bush, Bush The Faith of Barack Obama. His latest is called Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope and why Christian conservatives supported him. We'll take a quick break, but our conversation continues with Stephen Mansfield in just a moment. The big buzzword in ministry today is on being missional. Perhaps your congregation is looking for ways to do just that. But before you think about going overseas, there is a population right here at home that is ripe for the harvest. Let's just say they're a captive audience. Consider starting your church's own prison ministry team by partnering with Kairos Prison Ministry. Since the 1970s, Kairos has effectively trained teams of men and women to reach the prison population for Christ, as well as the families of prisoners who are doing time on the outside. New teams are being formed now in the western Pennsylvania area. Your church has an opportunity to make a real difference. But a word of caution, once you see the life-changing transformation God brings through you as a Kairos volunteer, you'll never want to stop. This could be your Kairos moment. Call 412-368-6691 to find out more. Kairos Prison Ministry, 412-368-6691. Just Pay Half Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh's original deal site. Go to JustPayHalfPittsburgh.com to save money now on Pittsburgh restaurants, events, and family fun activities. Just Pay Half has over 100 Pittsburgh restaurants offering half-price deals. Take a vacation to Myrtle Beach or Outer Banks at half price. Get $25 worth of delicious pizza from Vicelli's for just $12.50. Kick off your spring with half-off carpet cleaning from Sears. Take a helicopter tour of the city with stellar copters for half price. Get all this and more at JustPayHalfPittsburgh.com. Camping in the great outdoors can be a lot of fun, but it's not the most conducive environment for your next retreat. Antiochian Village offers the best of both worlds with 300 acres of beautiful woodlands near historic Ligonier, plus all the technology and connectivity you need to make your retreat a success. With 100 hotel-style guest rooms, 18 meeting rooms, and several outstanding full-service dining menus, 10,000 guests every year can't be wrong. Antiochian Village. Book now at antiochianvillage.org. Hi, this is Tun Shokin. Kick off your Memorial Day weekend with me and my good buddy Craig Wolfley on Saturday, May 26th at the Great Lawn across from Heinz Field for our 16th annual Walk for the Homeless. The fun begins at 8 a.m. and ends with lunch and festivities. Money raised that day will benefit Light of Life Rescue Mission, an organization that provides food, shelter, and hope for Pittsburgh's homeless and hurting. There are many ways to get involved. Form a team to walk, become a business sponsor, or volunteer. For more information, visit lightoflife.org or call 412-258-6128. When you're hiring, you don't want to sort through dozens of irrelevant resumes. You want an efficient way to get to a short list of qualified candidates. That's why you need Indeed.com. Post a job in minutes. Set up screener questions based on your job requirements. 
Then zero in on qualified candidates using our intuitive online dashboard. Discover why 3 million businesses use Indeed for hiring. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Search for greatness. Search Indeed. Partly cloudy tonight. It will be a bit cooler overnight as we go down to a low of 52 degrees. A beautiful looking day tomorrow with an abundance of sunshine and turning much warmer for the afternoon hours. High tomorrow, 83. Clear skies tomorrow night, low 59. Then for Friday, again, we'll see a good deal of sunshine. Very warm, 86 degrees. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. New York Times bestselling author Stephen Mansfield is with us. Stephen's written The Faith of George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama. His latest is called Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. Now listen, as you listen to this conversation, you should know that we support the president. We do. I mean, the things that he's done in the office so far, many wonderful things. I mean, look at North Korea, look at the economy, look at China, look what's happened with the Supreme Court, all these wonderful things. However, you know, you can still be a citizen of the United States and say, uh, President Trump, uh, I wish you didn't tweet so darn much. And the way that you deal with certain people groups is not really the best way to, to be a strong educator or a strong president or a strong man, all those things. So, you know, left or right, whatever your political persuasions are, there is room to still level criticism that has some sort of approach to it that is even and still hits the mark. Stephen, I appreciate you saying that, John, because it brings me to the question I wanted to ask you. Um, Stephen, I don't, was it five, six years ago you wrote the book on Oprah Winfrey? Yeah, maybe a little bit longer than that, but okay. yes, I did. All right, well, it, that was a great book. And um, in the middle of the book, you just did a, a masterful job, I think, of just describing the changes in America going from the 1960s forward. Um, and just kind of like, how did we get to where we are now? It's, I, I can't tell you how many books I've read since then, but that's, <laughs> that portion of that book really sticks in my head. Now, you do a similar thing in this book when you write about Obama. So talk about... Uh, President Obama, his relationship with Christians and those who have a Christian outlook, because I think that helps us to understand how we got to where we are. Yes, it absolutely does. You're right. There's no question that if you're a religious conservative by the, let's say, the summer of 2016, after eight years of the Obama administration, whatever else you thought about Barack Obama, the, the survey show that most religious conservatives felt bombarded by the Obama administration. Uh, there had been a strident LGBT agenda. Yes. There had been a strident pro-abortion agenda. Um, uh, you know, con- religious conservatives had been sued, like the Green family of Hobby Lobby, uh, for not wanting to provide abortions as part of their insur- employee insurance. Um, even a small order of nuns was sued. Um, Barack Obama, and perhaps it was just clumsiness of the moment, had said that people cling to religion like they cling to guns because they're scared about the economy and scared about their lives. This didn't help very much. Um, his Justice Department filed lawsuits many times against religious causes, and he seemed to be very, very friendly towards, uh, you know, towards the Muslim world, uh, even though, of course, I've made the case in my book that he w- wasn't a Muslim, and, and people should not have been alleging that. So by the time you came down to the 
2016 election, you, the, the average religious conservative in America felt traumatized by the Obama administration yes. and felt like the Hillary Clinton administration would have been another, an eight years more of the same. Exactly. And so anyone who could win, anyone who showed sympathy with their values, uh, anyone who just could speak their language meant a great deal to them. And I, I really think that's a, the large, largest reason that Donald Trump won half of all church, regular church attenders in America, mm. half of all Roman Catholics, and 81% of white evangelicals. Mm. So, Stephen, talk about then the, you know, the incongruity. Then, um, so you've got you've got an exhausted, you know, maybe uh, Christian slash conservative uh, citizenry. Um, you've got a uh, an I iconoclast who and who who survived the republican nomination process which was as ugly as it could possibly have been without there being actual bloodshed i mean it's just uh, it was just really appalling to sit back and watch it or even worse to try to comment on it um but bringing those two parts together the person of donald trump and the exhaustion maybe of the christian conservative moment movement then you come to see what one just kind of embraces the other or one needs the other i mean what was that relationship well i think the relationship was that the majority of god i don't certainly don't fault all of those who voted for donald trump many people did it for noble reasons and i certainly understand that because like i say i'm right of center politically although i'm not hard right wing uh, but but the fact is that uh, religious conservatives uh, had sort of uh, given up on having the ideal candidate. You know, Ronald Reagan was dead, for heaven's sakes. Uh, George W. Bush wasn't running. I mean, these were as close to the ideal uh, candidate for the religious right as possible. So uh, they they were willing to go with somebody who was harsh, who was perhaps even, as some said, pagan. Um, but, there, but there was kind of a deal. Uh, and the deal was that he would champion their concerns, their rights, that they would perhaps get their America back again, even if it was done by a hard-talking, hard-cussing, perhaps even racist um, candidate. And that's exactly what happened. It's, it's stunning, as you say, that that uh, Donald Trump did not, uh, would, you know, that he won in the primaries when almost everybody running in the Republican primary was uh, an evangelical or at least a strong Christian, and some of them were even pastors. Right. So you'd think that the religious right, uh, the evangelicals would have gone in that direction. But there was kind of a deal that happened, and I'll have to say negatively, uh, the negative part of the commentary is that evangelical Christians were, and many of them guided and, and informed by the two things they, that no Christian should be shaped by, no Christian should be motivated by, and that's fear and anger. And fear and anger had a great deal to do with the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. Amen to that. Stephen Mansfield, his new work is called Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. Stephen, election night, the night that Donald Trump was elected, truly one of the great it nights. It was. I, I, I mean, I I mean could talk not, about drama. No doubt. theater. I couldn't get over it. I think I went to bed at 4.30 that night. And, you know, you as you're watching this unfold, you saw all the liberal pundits, you know, on the network television or PBS, their faces as the night were on were more and more drawn. And, I, you know, I kind of I was fist pumping going, yeah, bring it, man, because I, I did fear eight years of a Hillary Clinton presidency because it seems to me that, you know, liberal policies in this country are way out of control. They're wacky. And eight more years of that, we would have just gone to well, become a different country well, yeah and there's also an incredible i mean it's just i sit back in amazement it's just an, an incredible view of a nation just as large as ours like a looking at an aircraft carrier able to change course that suddenly i mean how did you feel when you were watching it yourself Stephen? 
Well, it, it was confirmation to me of something that I had been thinking for a while that some of the people I learned from had been saying, and that is that we our polls have been wrong for quite some time. The press has not understood middle America, so to speak, you know, just the average common guy, blue-collar, Kmart kind of guy, you know, so the, the main guy on the street. And, uh, and certainly our politics has been shaped by that. The press is just disconnected from the street, as we might say. And so when Donald Trump began to sound his populist message, and I know he's a strange guy to do it. I mean, here is a, a guy who's never lacked for a thing in his life, been wealthy his whole life, and yet he somehow could sound kind of a raw populist message that would make the New York street cop love him. And so all, all that to say that that night seemed confirmation of that trend. Nobody really expected Donald Trump to win. The press was stunned. Hillary Clinton, by the way, had run a terrible campaign when it came to the issue of religion. Um, she, she never even, in fact, the, the Christianity Today, the Christian magazine, will tell you that they tried to get merely an answer to their phone call during the entire general election and couldn't even get their, their calls answered at the Clinton campaign headquarters. So there was no connection to evangelicals. There was no reach to religious people. Well, at the same time, the Donald Trump was pretty masterfully, with Paula White's help, uh, connecting to the religious conservative uh, portion of, of America. And so that night seemed confirmation of just how off, and I'll use the word that some people use, the elites in this country, were from what was happening on the street. And right. I think that really is, in addition to the religious themes, the story of Donald Trump. Right, and shockingly so. I mean, if I'm, I'm reading the New York Times every day. At one point, the New York Times had Donald Trump chances of winning the election at 1%. At 1%. Now, Stephen, yeah. you bring up Paula White. Uh, yeah. You talk about her in the book. Yeah, and you. so Paula White, I would say, is his current pastor. Um, so let's talk about her first, and then I want to go back, and or you can choose whatever order we're going to do this in, Norman Vincent Peale, his original pastor. Well, Paula White's very, very important. They had become friends when he called her after hearing her uh, teach on television about vision. They became friends. She became kind of chaplain to his company. When he decided to run for president, he asked her to create uh, listening sessions, just gatherings of clergy around the country, where he could sort of understand their needs and concerns. Now, the cynical would say that he was just learning their language, you know, so he could appeal to them. Maybe so, but it had the same effect. But it was in these meetings that he learned about the Johnson Amendment he has mentioned so much. Mm -hmm. It was in these meetings that he learned about, you know, maybe the, maybe the challenges of religious liberty or the challenges of an inner-city pastor. And um, so he went out from these. And by the way, Paula White, to her credit, reached way beyond her charismatic Pentecostal moorings and, and pulled in Catholic bishops and pulled in, um, you know, rabbis and pulled in Eastern Orthodox priests and what have you. So she did a good job, and as a result, um, either, either Donald Trump genuinely gained compassion for these people and their causes, or he just learned their language. Either way, it won him the percentage of voters that we've just been talking about. Now, one of the reasons that he was so uh, attracted to, to Paula White, and I mean that in the, in the sense of uh, her influence, her power, her ministry of God's Word, uh, was that he had been mentored in his life by Norman Vincent Peale. And Norman Vincent Peale's an interesting character. He was a minister of the gospel at Marble Collegiate Church in Manhattan. That's where the Trump family went. went. But he was also uh, one of the leading motivational speakers of his generation. Uh, he wrote the famous book, The Power of Positive Thinking, 
And many of the of the phrases that we would now associate with motivational speakers, like you know, if if you can conceive it, you can achieve it, and and he even said uh, you know the fact that attitudes are more important than facts, and uh, you know your words change your reality. All, all of those things that we now associate with motivational speakers are actually in his book. Having read so much of Norman Vincent Peale to write my book, I, I hear his principles coming out of Donald Trump's mouth almost every day. And so very, very important because it set Donald Trump up to value clergy, uh, to value eternal and spiritual things, even if he wasn't personally committed to them. And this, of course, caused him to sort of put himself religiously in the hands of Paula White and other ministers who are shaping the religious side of his presidency. Stephen Mansfield is with us. His latest work is called Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Support Him. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay with us. It's The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Want to hear an amazing story? Hi, it's Mike with Bible League International. Lally is the village witch doctor in Madagascar, Africa. She had never heard the name of Jesus until Hobie brought the gospel to her remote village. Lally would come to place her faith in Jesus Christ, receive a Malagasy Bible, and use it to make much of God. How so? Well, she read the story of Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, after becoming a believer, would go to those he misled as a tax collector and make things right. Lally, in the same spirit, would go to dozens of families she misled through witchcraft and urge them to follow Jesus. Guess what? Hundreds do today, but they live where they cannot access the Bible in this remote part of Africa. But guess what? You can send it for $5. Bible League and Word FM have set a goal to send Bibles to 5,000 Christians in Africa. $5 sends a Bible. How many will you send today at 800-670-9110? 800-670-9110 or give at wordfm.com today. You know how it is. You wake up and you either feel like saying, good morning, Lord, or good Lord, morning. Hey, this is John Hall, and I have to ask, if the second statement is more like you, why on earth haven't you tried my pillow yet? I've been talking to you about it forever. I'm telling you, once you try it, you'll fall in love with it right after you fall asleep on it. And since you're a kind and sharing person, you're going to want to share that gift with someone else, right? Of course you are. Good thing Mike Lindell, creator of MyPillow, is offering his four-pack special for Word FM listeners. Just call 1-800-961-9207. Use the promo code WORD. You'll get two full-size MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. Pillows, which are great for travel. Plus, my pillow is the only pillow that comes backed with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Call 1-800-961-9207. Enter the promo code WORD or visit MyPillow.com and enter the code to get the four-pack special today. That's 1-800-961-9207 or enter promo code WORD at MyPillow.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Tunch Ilkin, and I'd like to invite you to join me, head coach Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Leon Crump from Atlanta, and Ed Glover of Urban Impact for Man Up Pittsburgh on Saturday, June 9th at Victory Family Church in Cranberry. Come experience fellowship, prayer, worship while here in powerful messages and attend breakout sessions, all designed for us to up our games as godly men and mentors. From high schoolers to grandfathers, this is for you. Register today at manuppittsburgh.org. Hosted by Urban Impact and brought to you locally by Chick-fil-A of Pittsburgh. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters. Always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville. 
for the extreme in all of us at extremetruck.net. New York Times bestselling author Stephen Mansfield with us. His latest work, Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. So in closing, Stephen, um, I thought about the the incident that you record uh, in your book, 1950, Billy Graham just gaining fame for his evangelistic crusades, and he asked for an opportunity to visit with President Harry Truman. Um, it didn't go well. Tell us what happened. Well, he was a little naive. He met with Truman. Everything went well. When it was over, he asked if he could pray. It was great. He walked out on the White House lawn, and not having much experience with uh, the Washington, D.C. political press, uh, he told them how it went, described the prayer, and they said, well, hey, would you reenact that prayer for us? And, and he, of course, didn't know they were setting him up. So he literally knelt on the White House lawn and reenacted the prayer he had prayed with Truman. Well, it was embarrassing. Truman was livid. And Billy Graham later said, you know, I was stupid. I was naive. I apologized to the president. But it certainly made me wiser when it came to dealing with mm-hmm. the press. Right. So, Stephen, talk about then the challenges that confront pastors who are trying to speak into the lives of presidents who are, you know, is the leader of the free world while at the same time is just a man. Well, exactly. When it comes to presidents or mayors or local city council, state legislators, uh, we do want pastors involved in their lives. We want them uh, calling them calling these people to God. We want them uh, holding up a moral vision for their field. We want them helping these people, chaplain, uh, pastoring them, helping them deal with whatever inner deformities they have. What we don't want is that religious leaders join the PR team of politicians, uh, or, or that they stand up in front of everybody and you know, make the sign of the cross over them, so to speak, uh, claim, claim that they're God's person. Um, that, that's not something we can really be certain about. Um, so we need to maintain what I call in the book, and this phrase is not original with me, a little prophetic distance. Speak our truth. Um, speak the truth powerfully. Help people as you can. Uh, but don't you? But don't you? Don't have to get as we in our crass phrase today. Get in bed with them. You don't have to join their PR team. You don't have to engage in a religious rebranding. Speak the truth and let God rule. Don't be motivated by by fear or anger. And uh, and do the good that you can do. And this is the conclusion, by the way. You mentioned Billy Graham. Later in his life, he concluded that he had been actually played by Richard Nixon. He's on the he's actually on the Watergate tapes talking to Richard Nixon, and he realized that that, that he had tried to minister to Richard Nixon, and Richard Nixon had talked very in very religious terms. But Billy Graham later said, "You know, I just got played. Uh, he, he was trying to manipulate me for support." Um, I fell into it. I wish I hadn't. It's one of the things I most regret. So I think all pastors, all religious leaders need to do their best, but keep the words of Billy Graham in mind. Amen to that. Stephen, thanks. We're fans. We appreciate your uh, your wisdom, your clarity, your scholarship. You're always welcome here. Very nice. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you for the kind words. Thank Bye-bye. you. Stephen Mansfield, Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. We'll be right back, and we're going to give you a chance to win a family five-pack of tickets to an upcoming pirate game. Stay with us for that. If you had to replace everything in your fridge today, how much would it cost? For a restaurant or church, that could mean thousands in lost product and downtime. That's when you call Ventec Refrigeration. When your walk-in goes down, Ventec can be there in less than two hours with portable units to save valuable product. And they'll even move it for you while repairs are made with flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Keep your cool with Ventec Refrigeration. 412-793-0661. Hi, Tom Bodette with a message for our military friends on Libo. 
Next time you're Oscar Mike, grab your Alice and beat feet just a few clicks down the road to Motel 6. Here you can bunk for buku savings. In fact, these low prices are so Sierra Hotel, you'll be more at ease when you're at ease. So even if your ETA is O-Dark 30, Motel 6 has always got your, well, your 6. Book online at motel6.com. Odette, out. Join the T.J. Martell Foundation in the fight against leukemia, cancer, and AIDS. Your support helps facilitate cutting-edge research that will lead to more effective treatments and save more lives. Visit tjmartell.org to learn more. Hey, welcome back. Hope you're uh, enjoying this hour. Interesting conversation that we choose to go there because we love the president. We mm-hmm. want him to succeed. We are pro-America. We are pro-Donald Trump because he is the president of the United States. And before anything else, we are pro the kingdom of God. Amen to that. And we want – you know, what this book showed me – and this is a wonderful book by Stephen Mansfield called Choosing Donald Trump. It'll just – it'll open your eyes to a lot of things. But I'll tell you the number one thing I took away from it is that we as Christians, we owe the president more than we have given him. We do. As a man, as someone who's, who's going to stand before God, we owe him more than we've given him. This yep. is a, this is a man who needs to be shepherded and needs to be Surrounded. called to account for things and needs to be loved. He needs to be treated like we would treat our neighbor. Yep. I know he's the president. I know he's the leader of the free world. But we as the church owe him what Jesus has given to us, and that is the ministry of reconciliation that is, as Jesus was, full of both grace and and truth. And truth. Amen to that. Hey, uh, let's move forward. Hey, a Faith Night is coming up very soon, the sixth annual Faith Night. And in celebration of that, we hope that you join us for Faith Night. We're going to give away a family five-pack of tickets to the Pirate Game right now. But, uh, thanks to the generosity sponsored by Calusi Chevrolet. Our good friend Joe Klimchak is here to help us along. Joe? Hi, this is Joe Klimchak, the in-game host for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Bucks are excited to host their sixth annual Faith Night at PNC Park on Friday, July 27th, right after the game against the New York Mets. We hope you'll join us for what's always an intimate talk as Pirates players and coaches share about their faith on and off the field. For ticket information, check out wordfm.com slash pirates. In anticipation of Faith Night, I've got a free family five-pack to see the Pirates take on the Chicago Cubs on May 30th. All you have to do to win these free tickets is answer this question. Who hit the most home runs in Pirates history? Call 800-320-8255 right now with the correct answer to win the family five-pack. And again, don't forget, Faith Night is Friday, July 27th. Get your tickets now at wordfm.com slash pirates. See you at the ballpark, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks indeed. Okay, 800-320-8255 to win that family five-pack for an upcoming pirate game. Uh, do you know the answer to that question? Who in the history of the pirate franchise has hit the most home runs? Give us a call, 800-320-8255. Kath, can you uh, proper uh, prosper any guess? I mean, I I'm concerned that it's Barry Bonds. No, Mike is shaking his head. No. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, Woo. Because okay. I didn't want it to be Barry Bonds. Okay. Okay. Um, 
It's not Pedro Alvarez. <laughs> no. No, Pedro wasn't around long enough, no. was he? Um, Who's it can't, it's not Roberto. Can't be Roberto. Is it Roberto? I, I don't know. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Do you know the answer? I do. Oh, how yeah. Okay. Do, do our listeners so you, know? What, Eight, so, so you're just going to watch me struggle here. Yep. Oh, uh, we've got a winner. We have a winner. Oh, yeah, Mike's shaking his head. Okay, he's on the phone we right now. Okay, so okay. who has hit the most home runs? Is it in, Roberto? No, it's not. Okay. In pirate history. Okay. Um, it is Ralph Kiner. You know what? I, I guessed that as well. Is that wrong? It is wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I've guessed five also, people and they've all been wrong. I also guessed Hank Greenberg and that was wrong. Okay. So when, you, when you're on Federal Street... And you're looking at Roberto. Yes. Is it Willie? Yes. It's Willie Stargell. Yes, it is. No way. Yes. Very nice. Oh, Mike, that's how good. many home runs was that that Willie, Willie Stargell hit? 475, I believe. Very nice. I Chicken on him. the Hill with Will. Loved him. The big, beautiful. I loved it. Isn't that the most gorgeous statue? It sure is. I go there and I think, gosh, what is it? What kind of artistic talent is it that allows somebody to make something like yeah, that it's fabulous. just so gorgeous yeah. i love it i remember the the first day opening day for pnc park was also sadly yeah, ironically the day that willie started he died. died right i mean how do those two I things know. collide like that yeah i, I remember uh, I, I mean this i go way back when willie stargell was like in the yearbook the pirate you know sort of annual yearbook there was a picture of willie stargell with his dog <laughs> His German Shepherd. Did you love that? Oh, I was like, "Here's my favorite player." Oh, well, you know, Willie do you remember Star- his dog's name? No, I no, don't. Come no, on, John. but there it was. Willie Stargell and his German Shepherd in the Pirate Yearbook. Okay, so you think about the statues that are around PNC Park. Yeah, aren't they fabulous? Oh, they are. That Hannes Wagner Is statue. It? Yeah, that was at Forbes Field. Mm. Many- was it really? Oh, yeah. I knew it was old. But I yeah. thought maybe it was just at Three Rivers. No, no, that was in that to me. I love that. Yeah, statue. Yeah, so do I. Such a throwback. I know. So beautiful. And Bill Mazeroski. I mean, how great is that That's one? A great shot, dude. And Roberto, right at the end of the bridge. We're so lucky to live here. We sure are. Oh. Hey, thanks for being with us. Always a great pleasure. We provide you with a, a variety of topics topics to choose from as the show goes on. I'd like to choose the topic, Pirates Win Tonight. Please. I tuned in last night to hear the Grand Slam, and I shut it off because it was too painful to continue. Let's go, Buck. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.